Have you ever wondered what it takes to succeed on TikTok? Are you maybe currently thinking that LinkedIn is dead or is only for the old corporate people? Well, today I'm sure we're going to have a fabulous talk with Mayan, who is a serial entrepreneur and newly coined social media doctor. So hopefully she'll be able to answer those questions and more. Let's go, everybody. If you've ever felt alone, misunderstood, or like your story didn't matter, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Pretty Sure, the podcast where we explore the fun in life's ups and downs. Join me, your host, in a mix of guests from friends to thought leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and experts for some raw, unfiltered, and frankly, hilarious conversations. We'll chat about our struggles as millennials, the joys and pains of being single or in a relationship, life and biz lessons, and some inspiring takeaways too, because remember, no topic is ever off the table for us. Hi, I'm Sabrina, your new best friend, and every week you can expect kindness, support, and some tough love, because you'll be damn sure I'm going to be calling you out on your shit when you need it most. Pretty sure we're in for a wild ride, so saddle up and let's go! Welcome back to another episode of A Pretty Sure Podcast. Continuing with the clubhouse theme, I have another clubhouse friend, Mayan, who is literally like the social media doctor. So we were talking before the episode started recording about what she would call herself. She's like, oh, I don't know, because I don't like the word expert, but then I am, but like I'm coining some different words and I'm like, just pick one. And then she goes, I maybe want to call myself a social media psychologist. And the immediate thing that I got was social media doctor. So without further ado, I give you guys Mayan Gordon. You're probably going to correct me on the name. I know I'm I'm like pronouncing it horribly, but welcome to the show and please introduce yourself. Give your story in a nutshell and then we'll dive into the questions. Yeah, thank you so much. And you pretty much nailed it. My name's Mayan Gordon, and I am a serial entrepreneur. I got into business about 10 years ago after I dropped out of college. I've got a pretty crazy story, but it kind of started with me and my husband being in a gas explosion in our rental home. This kind of blew apart our life on every single level from financially to emotionally um, to identity-wise. And we ended up moving into an RV and were homeless for a while. We built out our first business called Diffuser Beach, which was a smoking accessory product that we wholesaled and direct sailed to customers built that up, were able to, you know, get back into a more normal living situation, got bored with it, switched businesses, started a sticker design and printing business. That went well for a while until again, I got bored with it. And that's what switched me into glass blowing because I had a bunch of glass blowing customers through my sticker business. So I took a lesson one day and just absolutely fell in love with the ability to create beautiful things because I've never been very good at drawing. Um, And I started doing that full-time, just made this full pivot switch from stickers one day, next day, bought all the equipment, started a home studio and was blowing glass, you know, 10 plus hours a day. And with all of these businesses, we really used Instagram as our major marketing and sales tool. And right away on Instagram, the glass blowing took off. We started doing really well in sales, started running auctions on Instagram. Um, And over the course of five years, we were able to do more than a million dollars in sales through the DMs. 
So that was going great until Instagram changed up its algorithm 2018 and our revenue fell about in half in just a couple month period. So this again threw us into kind of a bit of chaos and I was trying to figure out what to do because it wasn't going to be sustainable. We were actually having to take out, you know, a line of credit and run up our credit cards because we were just moved into this this big new space like right after we decided things were going amazing and we're going to expand boom, this happened. And from there, that's what pushed me on to TikTok, pushed me on to LinkedIn. I was looking for new platforms to explore on and create new audiences on. And within two weeks, my TikTok took off, got my first viral video, grew to more than a million followers in four to five months. And since then, it's just been, you know, straight kind of straight upwards to the 2.3 million followers I'm at now. With LinkedIn, I started building these incredible relationships with, you know, CEOs and founders and people who'd been in business for 20, 30, 40 years and just had this massive amount of experience and expertise. And from that has come a new business that I have with a co-founder that's a coaching business, as well as my own consulting agency and I don't even really like the word agency. I have a couple people that help me, but really I do I do all the consulting myself. Um, and now getting into all sorts of new opportunities and exploring even more. That's wild. I have so many questions, but also, <laughs> damn, you grew to 1 million in four to five months? Yeah. The month of October 2019, I gained 600,000 followers. So that that was a huge chunk of it. <laughs> Wait, what did you do to... Okay, no. First, hold on. Let's Let's go back to the story and then we'll go to that because like I'm fascinated. I don't even think I can get five followers in a day, let alone 600,000 in a month. So first of all, what even pushed you to start your own business? Like what did, what pushed you guys? Like, did you always know you wanted to be a business owner? Were you like, what, what's the story there? Yeah. So when I dropped out of college, it was to do freelance copywriting. Like while the last semester I was in, I was only in college for three semesters, but that, that third semester, um, I'd started picking up like gigs on Craigslist just for writing jobs, you know, blog posts, um, copy for landing pages, emails, things like descriptions for products on Amazon, just all sorts of random writing. And I really enjoyed it. And it was really easy for me because I had a, a really strong writing background from a high school that I went to that was really phenomenal. And I was like, whoa, I didn't know you could make $20 an hour just like writing stuff. And like, I don't have a degree in this and people are just wanting to pay me. So I, I dropped out because I really hated school and I hated lecture classes. And I was like, you know, I, I learned more reading a book than I do going to what these were you classes. Studying? I was studying, um, I was going to be a chemistry major. So it was a lot of hard classes like OCHEM and um, zoology. I, re- I wanted to be a veterinarian. And, and this is part of why I dropped out. I was like, man, I, I could probably get through three more years of college. But then there's, you know, at least four more after that. And like, if... If I don't like, you know, this, I'm probably not going to like vet school. And I just can't, I I can't suffer through 10 more years of schooling to get to the thing that I really want to do. So when, when that happened, it was going great um, until again, this, this gas explosion happened. And when that happened, I stopped any amount of work for like a full month period because my boyfriend was burned, husband now much worse than I was. And he was in the hospital for like a week and a half. Um, so just every day I was going to like spend time with him and help, help his morale as he was kind of recovering, um, and in a lot of pain. So after that, we kind of came back to the house and again, had to deal with like these house damages and just had to deal with a lot of, um, consequences from this explosion. And I just, 
was not thinking about working. It was just not a priority at all. Uh, and so then when I tried to get back into it, I'd lost all of my clients because they just, you know, I was freelance. So they just found other people to help them. And I found that it was much harder mm-hmm. to find new work. And I really hated having to spend work time just to find work. And so it, it just felt very like a waste of my time to have to spend, you know, four hours, five hours, however long it was to find a job. And then I would start the real work and get paid. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this who've been on a job search, right? Like filling out resumes, like it's a job in and of itself, but you're not getting paid anything for it. Um, And for me, that was really frustrating. And I knew that I was smart enough and creative enough to just like, honestly, it's hard to go back then, but I just somehow knew I could figure it out. Um, Just massive amounts of self-belief without maybe any, any real reasoning behind it. Um, And so I was like, I'm just going to start a business. We're going to come up with an idea. And we went into the library. So after we, we, uh, moved into this RV. We couldn't stay up in Seattle because of the the parking laws. Basically, the cops would get called on you like within, you know, 20 minutes of parking anywhere. So I knew it would be kind of a lot more chill down in California because that's where I went to, to school and had dropped out of. So I was like, let's just go park right next to the school that I just dropped out of. And we just went into the library every day and did research until we came up with like an idea for this product, found all of the materials that we could source directly in Los Angeles drove around, picked them up and, and like just made it happen. Wow. Oh my God. That is, that is crazy. Where did that belief even come from? Like you say, it's not founded anywhere, but you must've done something like your parents must like, where did that come from? Because not everyone can just be like, I don't know what I'm good at. Who cares? I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to be like rich or whatever. I'm going to like be successful. So like, where did that come from? Did you practice mindset? Like what, where does it come from? It definitely came a lot from my mother um, and like my parents, but specifically my mother always um, spoke into me that like I was, you know, capable of anything. And she, she even, I would say really pushed me into things that I was uncomfortable in and didn't want to do when I was growing up. Um, For example, I loved basketball. And so she paid for me to go to this AAU league. And I like really didn't want to go because I didn't have any friends going. I didn't know anyone. Like I was very nervous. I was like, no, that's okay, mom. She was like, no, you're doing this. Like you love basketball. You're not going to let, you know, not knowing people stop you from this awesome opportunity that I created for you. And so psychologically, I think that just embedded in me knowing that I could do things, even if my brain and my conscious was saying like, hey, that's scary, don't do that. Going through enough experiences where I was like pushed into things and then doing well enough at them and being like, oh, I guess that wasn't so bad and I guess I can figure this out and I see all the benefits. Um, It just stuck with me. And then I also was really good in school. Um, Pretty much my, my entire life I've been, you know, very good at academics um, and picked up learning very quickly. What, whatever type of subject it was, I kind of was always able to to pick things up pretty quickly. And so I knew that whatever I had to learn, I would be good at learning it. So it was just a confidence in my learning ability more than it was any particular subject matter. So I, I knew like, whatever it is, I'll figure it out. Mm, okay. That makes a lot of sense. And now a practical question. Were you ever nervous to start a business with your boyfriend? Or like, were you already sure that he was the one? I was sure he was the one. I am very much probably like a clinger (laughs) in terms of, you know, relationships. Um, So I met him on like one of the last nights that I was in Seattle, Washington on um, 
must have been summer break or spring break, some break in the middle of, you know, college. Um, and on the last night, I flew back to to uh, Los Angeles and we from there like texted and called each other every day. But there was like a one month period where we didn't see each other. So it was long distance. Um, and in that time period, we just became really, really close. Um, we're each of each other's first real relationships. And so we just we bonded very kind of quickly and very deeply. Um, and then, you know, moving in with him after that, um, just spending all of our time together, like we we just knew and, you know, living together kind of tells you, I think, a lot about how compatible you are with someone. And and things were, I would say, for the most part, really, really good. We definitely actually had quite a lot of dysfunction in our relationship starting out. But I think that's also how we both knew that we were the ones is like, we were so committed to each other, even through any amount of dysfunction that we like still really wanted to be together and, and figure out how to make our relationship work as well. Oh, that's so cute. And why did you decide to go into business with him? Like, were you just like, I don't want to do this alone? Was he an integral part of the design? Or were you just like, well, if I want to spend my life with this person, like I kind of want to go in business with them too? Yeah, I would say it was less of a choice and just more out of almost necessity. So again, we started that first business when when we were homeless living in this RV. So like, I mean, he didn't have anything mm-hmm. else to do, more or less. And it was, you know, more fun to work together on this project and on this business than it was um, for either of us to to not kind of be working together. Um, so there was a lot of, you know, like when you're homeless, there's a lot of things emotionally that you deal with from like embarrassment and shame to, um, you know, hunger and um, just, you know, being too hot or being too cold. Like we didn't have, you know, this nothing in this RV worked pretty much. So like we didn't have running water in it. We didn't have air conditioning, didn't have anything like that. So it was a lot of just like, well, what are we going to do? Well, the library's got air conditioning. Cool. So we both wanted to go into the library. Like it just, it, it made so much sense that we would both work on it. It was kind mm-hmm. of just like the most optimal choice for, for what we had going on. And then when it started, when we started making sales and it was very exciting, it was like, oh my God, cool. Like now we have this, this hope and this opportunity. And he for sure wanted to be a part of that more than I um, necessarily wanted him to, to be a part of it. Oh, that's so cute. And how long did it take you guys for that to really take off after you were at that kind of like low point? Yeah. So it took off, it took off pretty quickly. It was like two, three months, but then we made some really big mistakes. Um, So for example, we got this really big order. Our first big order was for a thousand jars of this product diffuser beads and our margins were terrible. So our cost was probably like two and a half dollars per jar and we were selling it for like three and a half or four dollars per jar. Um, so n- not a ton of margin. We ended up with, I think, like a thousand, close to a thousand dollars profit from that order plus a couple other orders that we had previously. And I saw this trade show and I was like, oh my God, trade shows, we got to do trade shows. And this trade show booth was two thousand dollars. And so I was like, well, we have one thousand. Where are we going to get the other thousand? And my idea was we should sell this RV that we're living in. <laughs> so we ended up selling the RV, going to this trade show. And then at the trade show, we only made $500 because it was like super falsely advertised and like over promoted. And the reality of it like really sucked. <laughs> so after that, we had to like kind of shore up in a really crappy, sketchy motel for about a week 
before my husband's dad came down to visit because he was a rep for Fuji Films. And so he would travel up and down the West Coast a lot. And he came and saw where we were like saying, he was like, you guys can't stay here. Like you got to get back up to Seattle because like I've got some resources. I can help you a little bit. And like, you're just going to run out of money down here. So we rented a car from Hertz for like a day and then took it and drove it all the way up to Seattle, Washington and returned it up there after like a week. And and then we were able to move into my husband's dad's rental house. But first we stayed in his garage for like a month because he and his wife were still, his new wife that he'd remarried were still living there before they were moving into the new house that they bought. And they were keeping that first one as, as a rental home. So ended up moving in there. Um, so this was like four months or so after, four, four to six months after starting the business. Um, and we were back in a rental house and, and things were going great. Um, and we stayed there for, I want to say like two to three years before we took off again, just out of sheer boredom of being in the house most of the day, filling jars with beads, putting labels on jars. Like it was very tedious, kind of boring, you know, cold calling for X number of hours per day. I was like, this would be a lot more fun if we were on the road again. So then we left in a truck with a rooftop tent and things were, we were just kind of running our business out of this, um, out of this truck staying at campgrounds. And it was actually really, really nice until the summer changed to fall. And in the Pacific Northwest, that means rain. And I just like, at this point in my life was not a forward thinker and planner. And so I like just didn't literally didn't think of these things of like, what are we going to do when it starts raining? (laughs) So it started raining and we had to get rid of the, the truck and rooftop tent and get a conversion van. And at this point I was like, we're going to get married. (laughs) Cause like we both knew, and he's, he wasn't the type of person who was going to like do some elaborate proposal. Um, So we just, we talked about it and we were like, do we want to get married? We did. We drove down to Vegas and had a wedding at the, what's it called? The Valley of Fire, I think is what's called the, the state park that they have down there. And that was beautiful. But then we ran out of money again. And at this point I was like, okay, I'm kind of done being all crazy. So I called my mom and said, asked if we could move into, you know, her house. They had a kind of like a basement bedroom area. And so we moved back into my mom's house and that's where we did our sticker business, kind of switched from diffuser beads to the stickers, stayed there for like two years and actually like built up some money and like planned stuff and thought about life a little bit more deeply and decided, you know, like we want to go find where, where we want to start our family. Cause we both knew we didn't really want to live in Seattle. It had gotten a lot more crowded, way more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of all the things we loved about it as kids had kind of gone away in a sense. So we were like, okay, let's, you know, we've got this amount of money to be able to move into our own rental. We've got a first, and a, you know, a last month and a deposit. Um, let's go try and find somewhere that's going to be like our permanent place of, of living and, you know, growing a family. And pretty quickly, like we drove over to Spokane and fell in love with the city and the people and a housing opportunity for us popped up where a friend of ours was able to talk the the renter um, into letting us rent because we had at this point four dogs and two of them are pit bulls, which is a pretty unrentable situation most places. So that was like a for sure like, oh my God, this is perfect. Moved in there. And that's when we finally had uh, a space to do glass blowing because you need kind of a garage that's detached or you need some space that isn't, you know, mm-hmm. ideally directly in your house. And so that's what allowed us to switch to glass blowing. And the rest has all been been pretty awesome from there, except for this time period with where Instagram like 
went kaput. And that was, that was another struggle period that ended up catapulting me, you know, forward in, in a lot of ways. That's so wild. That's such a fun story. I have a couple of questions from that. You know, my first one being, what did you see was the difference between running your business from a location than running it like mobile? Like, did you learn specific lessons from that? Do you still take those lessons into nowadays? Like, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say like a really cool thing for people to know is you can run a business from anywhere these days with the internet. That was the one most difficult thing was finding internet because most of the the state parks or the campgrounds we stayed at really didn't have internet. And I think even today it's a lot easier because you can kind of like, you know, hotspot your phone probably and like the the mobile networks are much, much better and there's a lot more, you know, equipment you can you can buy something called a cell phone booster or a wi-fi booster but back then we didn't like that wasn't really a thing yet in the you know there wasn't 5g yet and i think there wasn't even necessarily 3g network yet so you know we had to travel quite a bit sometimes to to get internet whether that was a starbucks or whether that was a mcdonald's those were kind of the two places that that we would end up going to for internet that was the biggest difficulty and difference i think between the two I mean, other than that, really not much because we did all of our sales and business through, you know, excuse me, Instagram and had a little bit of Amazon sales and then still some cold calling. And you can do that stuff from anywhere. And it was really just honestly, it was really nice because we could, you know, pull out our our jars of beads and, you know, pull out our materials and product and pack, you know, pack and ship we did separately from like sales and marketing. So we would do the sales and marketing kind of in town and drop off our packages at the post office. But the actual putting the product together, which for us took a lot of time, again, just putting jar- labels on jars. And, you know, when you don't have a machine, it you think, oh, putting a label on a jar, it's not that hard. Yeah. But like getting it to line up really nicely so that the product looks good. And, you know, when you've got a hundred jars to do. It's like, oh, that ends up taking a lot longer than you think it might. And getting to do that, you know, next to, to a lake or in a beautiful forest was was pretty awesome. Yeah. Oh my God. I can only imagine. I'm literally picturing it right now. I would love that. And where did you learn all of your like Instagram or social media tips? Because obviously you're telling, you're saying, you know, all of your sales came from the DMs, came from Instagram. Did you just start figuring out what worked or how did you... Yeah, completely self-taught in that aspect, just like spending massive amounts of time on the platform and tons of, you know, repetition around the different things I was trying. So I'd I'd get an idea and then I would try it out at scale. So for example, if I, you know, had the idea to go comment on other people's posts to try and engage them, I would do that for, you know, two to four weeks, like eight hours a day. And so just you learn because you can make when you're doing such a massive amount of repetition, you can make little tweaks to to your strategy, whether it's the comment you're posting, whether it's even one word in the comment, whether you're following up the comment with a message. So I just had a ton of trial and error that really after looking back and seeing what worked and analyzing it, that's where the real learning came from. So it wasn't just like seeing what worked. It was really trying to understand why it worked. And for me, that's always been at the heart of my growth on social media. It's not just about a tactic. It's about understanding what's the deeper layer beneath the tactic as to to why it's working. Because human beings are very kind of logical creatures. Um, and we all are essentially the same. Like, yes, we have so many unique 
differences and, and different personalities, but we all want the same things. We all want to be loved. We want human connection. We want newness and excitement in our life. And so figuring out how to, you know, create those commonly desired elements through my social media marketing was really what I was after. Hmm. So you started first on Instagram and then how long before the whole algorithm change happened that screwed you kind of over? Were you already doing the sticker business with social media as well? Or was that pre algorithm? Yeah, no, that was um, on Instagram. So we were on Instagram for like six or seven years at that point. And when, whenever I switched businesses, I just used the same Instagram account and was like, Hey guys, now I'm doing this. And what allowed me to really do that was always having my personal brand infused into any of my business Mm -hmm. brands. So people Mm -hmm. were following me for a product or service, but really they were following me because they, they were, they were like, what is this crazy lady doing? She's going on all these adventures. I think people have, have classically lived a bit vicariously through me because honestly, I've done some crazy things that like a reasonable person probably isn't going to do. And so when when I switched into my sticker business, you know, that's where I got a lot of customers from immediately. And that's kind of why whenever I switched businesses, they took off right away is I had a, a ready and waiting customer base. I like really wasn't starting completely from scratch. And so with the sticker business, I've always, so I've always loved trades and barter. Seattle has an incredible Craigslist community. So I'd always done a, a lot of trading on Craigslist, especially because I had skills and services I could trade for physical products. And so I grew up kind of learning how to design WordPress websites and, you know, H- back in the day, some amount of HTML websites. And so I was like, oh, let me trade websites, which people need and like normally would pay a lot of money for, for like whatever. And I don't even care what it is. I'm just going to message people who, who are on Craigslist in the barter section and like specific other sections trying to sell stuff and be like, hey, I see you've had your post up for like three months. Would you be interested to trade? And from that, I got tons of trades. And so then I got the idea to do that with my sticker business. I was like, oh, I bet people would trade, you know, products for stickers because like they already have the product. It's not like an extra cost. So again, just kind of tapping into psychology of like, what is more valuable to them than is valuable to me and vice versa. And so I found that a lot of glass blowers had a really hard time selling their glass art pieces at the price they wanted to sell them for. And, you know, due to ego, really didn't want to lower, the, like, no, I deserve this amount of money because I put this many years into learning how to do it. I'm this talented. And like the audience just wasn't educated enough to understand why something would be $1,000 versus $400 because they see, you know, just this mass market of, of pieces. And they're like, well, that person's pieces are $400. Why are your pieces $1,000? And of course, there's lots of good reasons and like techniques and, and all colors are different mm-hmm. prices. But I kind of saw this gap in knowledge and marketing or sales execution. And so I was like, okay, what if I trade them stickers and like, I'll do retail price on my stickers for their retail price on their glass pieces. That way they're not lowering their prices and they're not having to spend money that maybe they don't really have for stickers. And so it was a win-win situation where like literally these artists would have thousands and thousands of dollars worth of finished glass art but not enough cash money to buy like $400 worth of stickers. So it really was a win-win. I'd be like, cool, let me trade you this 400 wholesale, right? Like it's a bulk price at $400 for however many stickers. So like, let me double that. 
$800 for mm-hmm. $800, you know, of stickers for $800 worth of glass. And so then I was getting $800 worth of glass for normally what would be $400 worth of stickers. And then I could flip around and sell it for like six or $700 for the glass. And so before long, I was selling at least as much, if not more glass for cash than I was stickers. And that's what pushed me into this idea of like, uh, man, I should probably try and see if I could make these glass pieces myself because like I'm selling so many of them. Wow. Okay. That is, I, I would have never even thought about that. That's like hustle mentality right there, my God. I absolutely love that. Where did your glass kind of like blowing obsession come from? Like, did you, had you already tried it? Did you just know people in it? Like where, where did that actually just get started? Yeah. So um, how it started with, for the, the glass blowing lesson that I took, I just happened to have had a friend um, who I'd met, I mean, a very long time ago, probably, you know, before or around the time I started the diffuser beads business. Um, so, you know, five five years prior to getting into the sticker business or four years prior to the sticker business. Um, and he happened to have become a glass blower. So he knew glass, had his own studio and setup. And because I was doing this trading, I naturally thought, oh, maybe I can trade a set of stickers for a glass blowing lesson. And that's kind of what got me into it. Cause I was like, you know, it's not going to really cost me anything because our sticker cost was pretty cheap. Most of the, the work was in the actual cutting of the stickers. Um, cause we would print them full sheets and then we would cut them to whatever size that people wanted. So our cost was Wait, pretty low. Wait, were these like actual stickers, like the ones that they have on like Michael's and that you post everywhere or were these like branded stickers? Like what type of stickers are we talking about? Sorry for the interruption. Yeah. So basically people, so glass blowers all have like a cool logo or a design and they use stickers mm-hmm. instead of business cards for their, their marketing. Like when people, when, whenever they send out glass in a package, they're going to put a couple stickers in there. Trade shows are a pretty big deal in the glass blowing industry. There's a lot of artists that make, I mean, all, if not a bulk of their, their annual revenue from going to a trade show and like selling out their booth and the shops will come in. It's a really thriving kind of, or uh, until COVID, it was a pretty thriving trade show wholesale industry through that. So when they go to the trade shows, I mean, they all have stickers. And so that's where like kind of this whole sticker thing really evolved and and became steady for me was there was just this very kind of niche market that needed stickers that didn't want to purchase them from like a Uprint or like an online place and wanted like like a one-on-one kind of like service personal touch. Um, And so I just, you know, kind of tapped into that. And and that's really what got me into like glass blowing and just Again, even just looking at glass pieces all the time from these artists, I like started to fall in love because they're so beautiful and it's very hard not to be captivated by glass once you're, I think, exposed to it. That is, I literally keep saying that's fascinating, but I cannot come up with a better word because that is truly fascinating. Like how you went from one random thing to another and it ultimately led you to where you are at today and how that led you to be like a TikTok star. Like I'm actually completely mind blown here. And even more is the fact that you just keep saying, well, yeah, I did it. You know, like it was normal. (laughs) Like you just woke up one day and you're like, I'm going to start a sticker business and like, who cares? And then from there, it's like, I'm going to start a glass blowing business. Like I truly wish I had that part to just be like, fuck it, whatever I come up with today, it's just like going to blow up how I don't care, but it's going to happen. So I love that. That being said, before we actually get into how you got started with TikTok and like your whole journey with that, after all of these struggles and after all of these different businesses that you did and the changes, 
did you start practicing mindset and like manifestation at all? Or was that just like not even on your radar? Just tell me a little bit. Yeah, it. you know, I wish I had, um, but it wasn't even on my radar. I was a big stoner. So like throughout this whole period. Maybe that's the secret. Yeah. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> so, you know, grew up in me and my husband growing up in Seattle, Washington, like it's got a very strong cannabis culture. So we both got into to smoking mm-hmm. weed when we were around like 16, 15 years old. Um, and it just was more or less a habit that we were into. So a lot of our life really just focused on like having fun more than we were trying to achieve any, like that was the achievement we were trying to achieve was like, how do we enjoy our day-to-day life and not, you know, get depressed and put down by the man. Right. (laughs) Like we were like, we don't, we, we don't want to have these corporate jobs. Like we don't, we see, we saw all of these people who were successful on paper, but like clearly weren't very happy. And we just really didn't want to go that route or even pursue that route. Um, and it wasn't until I really started listening to podcasts when I was doing my glass blowing business. Cause during the first two businesses, it was a lot of Netflix and movies. Cause this was after, again, kind of several periods of two periods of homelessness where no TV, no access to like any of the shows. So we had a lot of catching up to do on like shows and television. So that kept us pretty entertained for a while. Uh, but then when it came to glass blowing, um, we, you can't really watch, I mean, you can watch TV a little bit, but you really have to focus on like the flame and like not burning yourself and like making the glass pieces. Um, and so that's Mm -hmm. when I started really listening to podcasts and that's where I started first learning about like personal development and like, you know, I'd I'd say manifestation isn't really something that I even heard about until probably, you know, last year. Um, And at that point, it was just a word to me. It didn't really mean a whole lot until I would say more this year, because I'm very scientific in my thinking. And so if people can't explain something to me logically, I tend to not listen very much. (laughs) And then which is ironic because you wanted to study medicine. So yes, yes. And so, you know, this year after finding a bunch of incredible books that really explain what even is manifestation and scientifically how it how it works. Now I'm fascinated with it, but I'd always been stubborn around people telling me things because I'd always figured things out by myself. Um, and felt like just had a strong sense of like, you don't know what's best for me. I'm the only one who knows what's best for me. And and that came from, you know, one, my parents, you know, thinking that they knew what was best for me, which was to go to college and to like focus on studying in a particular way. Um, but then also society telling me those same things of like, look, as society, we know what's best for everyone. And it's this path and going down that path and being just miserable and, and, and coming to the conclusion before I dropped out, like what helped me pull the trigger to drop out of college, because it was, I mean, an incredibly difficult decision. I felt like so much pressure, like I was going to let every single person down in my life who'd like done all these things for me and that I was a failure, um, was realizing like nothing's worth feeling this unhappy for. And if this decision makes me feel so unhappy, then it's wrong. And it doesn't matter what anyone else says. Like no decision that makes you that unhappy is the right decision. And so 
that's kind of like what broke me away from like, well, people don't know. They don't know what's right. Like clearly society and a bunch of people have it wrong. And so like, I just got to figure this out for myself. But people do have great advice. <laughs> and when I started listening to people who I think were were living or um, successful in areas that I did want to be successful in, that's when I was like, okay, well, now I'm going to listen to you because you've achieved something that I want to achieve, not just what, you know, the the societal definition of achievement is. So so that's when I really started, you know, getting more focused in on it. Ooh, I love all the points you're making because that's 100% true. I think the thing that's going to stick to me the most is, you know, if I'm so unhappy in something, no, no matter who says it's okay, like it's not okay for me. And I absolutely adore that you said that because it's true, right? I think yeah. that's, I have this theory that people just tend to compromise or tend to just say like, oh, well, this is only the only thing I can have, right? And that's why so many people are so unhappy in relationships and friendships and jobs because they're like, well, this person's perfect. I should be happy with them. Like that maybe there's something wrong with me, right? Instead of looking into, well, they could be perfect on paper, but maybe they're not perfect for me. Or maybe this job could be perfect on paper, but not good for me. And you made me realize, you know, you made me remember one, one time when I was interviewing for this job, really funny. And I had planned this trip because I was just getting it out, out of this miserable internship that I had. Like I literally cried for three months, every single day straight, like going home. Horrible. It's okay. It happens. You know, some people are not the nicest people, but I had planned this like little trip with a friend of mine to go to Turkey after. And I was like, I will figure my life out after that trip. Like I just need four days to literally breathe and just be like, oh my God, the nightmare is over. And so in the middle of that, I was about to leave. It was like a week out. And then I got interviewed for my dream job. And they were like, but we need you to start like next Monday. And I was like, Oh no. Actually, and I, I thought about it. I was like, oh my God, this is like the best opportunity ever. And it just dawned on me. Like, if I do this, I'm just compromising my morals and I'm not taking a break. And so I told them, I was like, I would absolutely love to take this job, but I have this trip planned. If you wait for me, like literally, I will be back that Friday. I can start. And they're like, no, we need you on Monday. So good luck with life. Well, then they weren't the right, that tells you right there. It's like, ooh, that was not going to be a good job. (laughs) Like I'm literally there telling them I need a break, like a mental break. And you're here telling me if you don't start now, like we don't want to. Like what kind of a red flag is that, right? So I love that you said that. And I love that you've lived your life through that. So that's amazing. Now I want you to tell me about your TikTok journey. How the hell did you start TikTok? Did you know what you were doing? Like tell me all of those juicy details. Yeah, so I'd heard about it through Gary Vee and a couple other people online and was very resistant at first, but it just kept popping up. And at this point in my life, I was like, if things keep popping up, there's some reason. And like, at least I'm going to try. Like, I don't have to love it. I don't have to stick with it, but I'm at least going to try it so that I don't later on go, oh, I should have at least you know, given that, you know, that wonder that we have of like, oh, what if I had done this Mm. thing when I'd heard about it? So I hopped on, couldn't even figure out how to post a video for like the first couple days, was very confused as to like why there were just like random videos when I would open up the app. Like from Instagram, it's very confusing. You're like, what's going on here? Um, But Mm. then figured out how to post videos. And the the first videos I posted of like my stuff got taken down immediately because they were smoking accessories. And they got taken down so fast that I was like, oh, they must have some type of like 
AI or technology that automatically could tell what was in the video. Cause it was like, there was no way it got flagged by like a person, mm-hmm. especially because they were smoking accessories. Mm-hmm. But you would have to know like about like most people wouldn't know that they that were, they were. like they weren't pipes. They were like um, these things called dabbers, which are just like pretty glass kind of tools. Um, and so I was like, okay, I don't think like my normal category of what I would post on Instagram is going to fly on TikTok. And it made sense to me because I was like, oh, the audience is so much younger. So like they must just be way more cautious about like what's getting posted on the platform. So I found some videos from another glass blower who does soft glass. And I was like, oh, maybe just like soft glass artwork. Maybe this will work. And so I posted a video of I, I posted a couple videos and they were doing fine, you know, like a couple thousand views, nothing, nothing huge. I was getting, you know, a couple followers, like, you know, 60 followers and then like a hundred followers, which, um, wasn't hugely exciting to me, but certainly was enough encouragement to stick with it and see what was going to happen. And then just two weeks into being on the app, I posted this video of a sea turtle, like a big sea turtle getting made by a group of glass blowers. And it started just blowing up and getting millions of views and thousands and thousands of comments. And so I was like, what the heck is going on? Because I'd never had anything like that on Instagram for being on there for, you know, seven, eight years at this point. And I was like, how does this app even work? And I was fascinated because the comments didn't make any sense to me. They were saying Visco girls have entered the chat, V-S-C-O, Visco I was like, what does this mean? And then there were a bunch of comments that were SK, 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 which is, I guess, how a Visco girl laughs, which is like, um, <laughs> so I was like, I was like, what are, what's happening? Like, what is the internet doing right now? And so I like Googled, like, what's oh a Visco God. girl? And like the definition I found, it was like, a Visco girl has ponytails and has like a hydro flask and like loves the environment. I was like, I still don't understand what's going on. Um, but I was just fascinated that clearly there was this younger like subculture that I knew nothing about. And I've always thought that I'm pretty young and hip, but apparently the new generation Gen Z like had their own stuff going on and it was going on on TikTok. And so I just started studying every video. And with this first video, I was like, why did this video go so viral? And these other videos didn't like they did fine. You know, a couple thousand views is awesome. But like, why did this one get so many millions of views. And so I came up with a list of like hypotheses and again, treated it pretty much took it into my little social science lab and went, okay, let's treat this as an experiment. Um, So I came up with hypotheses and then, you know, found new content to be able to test those hypotheses. And one of the hypotheses was that TikTok somehow, like we all know about how these apps have access to data. And so I was like, Ooh, maybe they have access to like more data than is happening on the app and they know where a general sense of attention is. And so I was like, okay, what's a big giant source of attention that I could maybe tap into and like ride a wave of. And this was in like September. And I was like, oh, Halloween is coming up in October. Let me post some pumpkin videos. Maybe people's love of Halloween, like maybe the app will know this and start showing, you know, these pumpkin videos to people who like Halloween. And that was pretty dead on. And I posted four or five pumpkin videos that all did more than 10 million views. And one of them, you know, has like 62 million views now. It was just, that's what allowed me to gain 600,000 followers in the month of, of October was just these videos that went crazy, crazy viral. 
Wow. So what I'm hearing, and you know, this is just from like what you're saying, because I've heard so many theories. So a little backstory. I started TikTok last year because I was so tired of everyone talking about it. You know, I kept saying, they're going to steal my data. I don't want to join TikTok. (laughs) Like it's going to be whatever. Joined it because I was bored AF in my apartment. And I was like, these people are all having fun. I want to see what it is. Started doing it. It was so fun to record these like random videos, but I never had any views. I had like maybe a hundred. I had one that got a thousand and then the rest were like a hundred. Got really discouraged and I was like, okay, peace out TikTok. I do not have time for this. I'm just like, Instagram's my thing. And so ever since then, I hear a lot of people say like, you have to find your niche and like, you have to find what works. But basically what you're saying is you didn't really have a niche at the beginning, right? The niche was glass. So I definitely did. So part of like where my success came from was around the concept of newness. So people are addicted to new and even specifically TikToks come out and said that their algorithms based on variable reward, um, which means it's literally tapping into that addiction of I want something new that I've never seen, but know that I like to pop up in front of me. And so TikTok was able to deliver my videos to people who'd never seen glass blowing before. Like now people have been exposed to it. Like my videos have, you know, more than 800 million views. A lot of people have now seen at least, let's say, a handful of glass blowing videos. But this was one of the kind of emerging uh, media for people to get exposed to any type of glass blowing. And I think the first one that that kind of primed the space for me was Netflix's Blown Away show, which was maybe two years before I got on the app. And if if anyone knows what that is, it's like a competition style um, TV show where glass blowers are competing for like a top prize. And obviously through Netflix, it, I mean, it got it a ton of um, views kind of all around the world. And so people either had maybe, you know, one exposure through this show of like what glass blowing is or, or none exposure to it. And so for them to, you know, on your screen, you see like, this hot orange glass and like, you don't know what it is, but it's very mesmerizing. Like people were captivated with it because they'd never seen it before or been exposed to it in that visual format. Like even if they'd seen it on Netflix, the way it looked on TikTok was different visually. And so that for sure helped me because whenever we find something new, we get really excited, right? I like to use the equivalent of we as adults are like very young child on Christmas. When we get that new toy, we freaking love it. We're going to play with it every day for like two weeks. And then we're maybe like the next week picking it up once or twice. And then we're like done with it forever. <laughs> right. Is like we get this big drop off in interest on content that that we're consuming. And we're not even really aware of it. We just naturally are like skip, skip, skip that video in waiting for that next new thing to grab our attention. So that, for me, that was definitely a huge um help Mm -hmm. since then though like probably probably about a year ago now I started branching out into lots of other different types of content more centered around my personal brand so centered around me the things that I like the things that I want to share that's what I was about to tell you yeah so like now I post videos yeah that's what I was about to ask because I'm looking at your TikTok now and I'm like guess the price and your dog and like games and I'm like wait What's yeah, happening? exactly. So in part of that was one, because I wanted people to get to know me. Two, though, is I realized people were getting kind of bored mm-hmm. with the glass blowing. Like as much as the glass blowing had been the thing that got me up there, it, it wasn't going to be the thing that got me to the next 
place that I wanted to be. So I actually, I got stuck at 1.7 million followers for like four or five months and couldn't figure out how to grow from there and was just like trying out new things until like, you know, found a couple videos that worked really well and, and just have been really experimenting a lot with since then because I can learn so much more by testing out content than I can just from like going viral. And of course, still I'll, I'll post content that's aimed at going viral, but I'd say that's maybe, you know, 10 or 20% of my content compared to like, what's the next thing that's going to take me to 5 million followers? Cause it's like something so new and interesting that people, you know, really buy into it again. So general recommendation for anyone wanting to get into TikTok is find a niche. Do you just randomly know what it is or do you recommend people just test out as much content as they can and then the people will tell them they're their niche before we move on quickly to LinkedIn? But like general concept grasp. Yeah, I think both. So either or. So I think, you know, coming up with a strategy or a niche that you want to start in is a great idea. But if it's not working, then test lots of things out. Like, I think it's good to give the niche that you want to be in Mm -hmm. a chance, like whether that's because you enjoy making that type of content and you're having fun with it, or whether you have like a business goal related to it, right? Those are both excellent reasons to be posting in a particular area. But if that doesn't work for you after, let's say, a month or even after two weeks and you're posting daily, like feel free to experiment and try out new things. And I know quite a few people um, that I met on, on Clubhouse as well who that's been what's worked for them. Like they started out in one area and then because it wasn't working, you know, psychologically, you'll go, well, if it's not working, I might as well post something else that I want to post anyways. And they did, and that went relatively viral. And so then you just pivot in that direction. You're like, okay, I guess this is my thing. Okay, I love that. I love that approach. It kind of like removes the stress out of, holy shit, this has to go viral. So I love that. Yeah. Okay, now LinkedIn. How did you become a LinkedIn expert? And what are your best tips for people that want to get into LinkedIn? Like convince people, because I know LinkedIn, I like it. I personally... I'm so bad at this. I can only keep up with one or two platforms at the time. I can't do five, even if I would like to. Like the momentum I have in one, I'm like, you're not giving it back to me. I'm going to peace out from you and like continue to something else. So I know that I have to get back at it, but I know LinkedIn is amazing. And I would love for you to tell people why it's so amazing. Yeah, it's amazing because you can get the attention of people who otherwise you really can't get their attention anywhere else. Um, Even if it was, you know, person to person, they would have like three assistants that you'd have to get through or like secretaries or, you know, whoever that you'd have to get through before you got an opportunity to speak to them directly. And on LinkedIn, you Mm -hmm. can speak with these people directly. So, I mean, I've had, you know, conversations with um, people really high up in IBM, in, you know, like in the Salesforce community and in like all of these big businesses, you know, getting to speak with Kara Golden, who's the CEO of Hintwater. And that's like a multi-hundred million dollar business. Like that's crazy. Like I'm not, not, not to diminish myself, but like, I'm a nobody in the business world at that level. Like I've never built a business that does a hundred plus million dollars a year. And for me to have an opportunity to speak directly with those people and build relationships and give them value to build that relationship is like, where else can you possibly do that? So some quick tips. I, and I guess part of the reason I'm really good at LinkedIn is from those from the copywriting. So I think copywriting and just writing in general is a skill that serves you for life in 
every platform, every social media platform, because they pretty much all have a writing Mm -hmm. component. Even TikTok has writing components to it. But then also it translates to how you speak. So one of the reasons I love social media is not just because of the outcome that you generate on it, but because it is a tool for learning and improving. Like it is where you get to practice whatever skill, whether that's writing or video or audio, get feedback and then improve. So, you know, the way that I really executed that was one, I post content every day and you don't, it's not like TikTok where I think, you know, there's a lot of people suggesting you do up to three videos a day. On LinkedIn, one post a day is is plenty. There's a variety of styles of posts you can do. Some of them take a longer time, like if you're writing a story or, you know, several paragraphs, but some of them are super easy and short, like running a poll. Like think of a question, create a poll with like four answers and like, boom, you're done. That takes less than five minutes to create that post. And, And right now, LinkedIn polls are getting crazy good engagement. So there's a tip for anyone who's interested. And then, you know, like other styles of posts, like having a graphic, I have a virtual assistant who does graphics for me. So like asking her to make a graphic based on an idea that I have or a quote that I've said, Um, and then sharing, you know, two to three sentences to give that quote or that graphic context. Like that also doesn't take me a huge amount of time. So I've always been a huge fan of streamlining content creation and One of the things I'm moving into and I suggest a lot of people do who it does take longer is to batch create your content, like sit down. And I mean, a lot of agencies, social media agencies will do this. They'll have a social media calendar. They'll plan out, you know, the content for an entire month and then they'll make all the content so that throughout the rest of the month, you're not having to like not only spend time on it really, but think about it, right? The hardest part, the most time consuming part is getting your brain into the creative space getting, getting the writing done. So I think, you know, doing that all at once so you can get into a state of flow and not only do it more quickly, Mm -hmm. but do it at a much higher level for most people that I think is, is the answer to it. And something that, again, I'm also trying to move more into. I love that. Okay. I have two more questions for you and then we'll move on to the rapid fire round question. So my almost last question is how can people work with you? What are you offering? Like you are a TikTok queen, what, how, how can you help people right now? Yeah. So I have just launched signups for my TikTok mastermind and it is really for anyone who wants to radically transform their capabilities around social media. So the reason I decided to use TikTok as the tool and the vehicle for this is because the things that you learn on TikTok about social media apply to every single platform. Um, not only in a video sense, but again, really at a a psychological sense. So understanding why do people engage with content, not just video content, why do people engage with content? Why are they going to stop and read your content or watch your content? Um, How do you get them to buy into your brand, not just your singular piece of content? What are the different communication styles to use? How to leverage any amount of success that you have on the platform to other areas of your business? to other areas of the internet, whether that's other social media platforms, whether that's getting free press and PR um, and picked up by, you know, publications. Like there's just so much you can learn through TikTok that that's where I decided to kind of structure my mastermind around. And then of course it is also really good for anyone who's interested to grow on TikTok and really understand how to do it in a way where you are guaranteed progress um, and really making sure that that progress aligns with 
what your criteria for success are. So I think the reason most people will give up on a social media is they don't feel like they're getting enough value for compared to the time they're putting into it. And there are absolute ways around that by being much more strategic mm-hmm. about one, what does success look like? Because let's be honest, a lot of people jump on social media because everyone else is on there and they ha- literally haven't even defined why why are they on the platform. Um, so that's kind of like where we start and then we go through like brand identity and really understanding, again, how to craft your brand on TikTok, but like how do you craft a strong brand personality and brand image that's going to show up on any social media platform? Um, and then of course we deal with, you know, content strategy and how do you create how do you decide what content to post and how do you make a strategy around that understanding the algorithm, which again, I think really applies to some of the current, like the algorithm parts, the most specific, I think to TikTok, but I think it sets you up for whatever the future of social media apps are going to be. Cause they're all going to be AI machine learning driven to a very high degree. So understanding like what, what does that even mean? Like what is AI? What is machine learning? How does it affect you know, content delivery, how does it affect these different platforms? And then what do you do once you're you're building a community? Like, what do you do with that community? How do you foster that community? How do you continue to add value to that community? And how do you get value from that community as well? Um, and then, you know, a little bit about influencer marketing, a little bit about everything else that's involved with it. Um, so that's my main offering at the moment. I also do one-on-one consultations. I do a select amount of kind of monthly retainer clients, but it's very, very limited because I like a lot of freedom. I love that. I'm going to put the link in the description. So if you're listening and you're curious or want to contact me on, you can definitely go do that. And I'm going to put your, I think, do you prefer TikTok or Instagram to be linked? TikTok. I would right? say Instagram just in terms of communication because I don't check my TikTok DMs because it's like a bunch of people sending me videos I don't want to watch for the most part. It, it it's you know a little spammy in the in the the TikTok DMs I would mm. say. So Instagram's a better place to get in touch with me. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna put both of those links. So if you're interested, you can definitely contact Mayan. Last question for you, and then we have a quick rapid fire round question round. So this is my favorite question. I ask it to all of my guests, and I absolutely love everything they all say because it's never the same thing. So my young, I'm pretty sure at one point or another, you felt like you were alone or you were the only one to be in the situation or very misunderstood. I would love to know what that was and what you would tell other people that might be in a similar situation or feeling the same way. Yeah. I mean, that was like most of my whole life, I would say up until, you know, just really two years ago um, in finding these new communities through LinkedIn and TikTok. And what I would say to anyone in that situation is don't give up. Just, you know, keep having hope because there are incredible people out there and they want to help you. Like no matter how alone you feel, there are people who have never met you but care deeply, deeply about you. And sometimes it just takes us longer to find those people. At the same time, I would say continue working on yourself Because one of the things that I realized, like why I wasn't finding these people is I really had a lot of work to do on me. And until I did that work, I mean, I wasn't going to be able to really deeply connect with anyone, even people who really want to help people, because I just didn't display those same qualities Mm -hmm. that um, would make them want to want to connect with me. So the more you work on yourself, the more that manifests out in your business. And like, that's the truth to my success has just been working 
on myself more than I've been working on my business. And again, time-wise, not always true, but in, intention-wise, really understanding like who is it that you want to become and, and working really hard to become that person. Ooh, that's a great answer. See, I'm telling you, I love these questions because nobody ever gives me the same and I'm like learning along with you. So I love it. Okay. Now, before we end the interview, rapid fire round questions. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. Okay. My favorite one. If you could have anyone over for dinner, they could be dead alive or a cartoon or character. Who would you have? It would be Elon Musk because I want to know how his brain works. (laughs) he's a very fascinating man I would also like to have him over for dinner and just ask him all of the questions so I agree okay if you would have to pick between LinkedIn and TikTok which one would you stay with LinkedIn really yes okay because of the relationships I care about people much more than I care about the size of my following I love that and what about Clubhouse and LinkedIn Definitely, definitely LinkedIn too. Like Clubhouse takes up so much of my time. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I love that. Favorite food. What? Sorry. Favorite food. Favorite food. Favorite food. Ooh, uh, French fries. (gasps) If you could describe yourself with one word, what would that be? Adventurous. If you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go right now? Oh man. Israel. Biggest goal you have. Biggest goal is to eradicate loneliness from the world. Oh, I love that. And I totally feel that. Books or movies? Books. Glass blowing or social media? Glass blowing. And last one, who inspires you? Everyone inspires me. You inspire me. Like every single person out there who is not giving up inspires me. Like life's freaking hard, you guys. So if you're listening to this right now, like you inspire me for continuing every day to put forward effort. Like to me, that's so much greater than the the accomplish the big accomplishments that we put on tiers. It's like the real people going through their day-to-day lives and trying to be better. Oh, I love that answer. That's a beautiful one. Thank you so much, Mayan. And to everyone that is listening, again, the links to Mayan's Instagram and her mastermind will be in the description. So please reach out if you want to learn more or if you want to go stalk her on TikTok. She has really great videos. Go learn from her. She is epic or catch her on Clubhouse. I think I've seen you multiple rooms on Clubhouse. So definitely tune into that. And if you want to speak to me, you know, go on Instagram and send me a message at that girl, Sabrina. If you like the podcast, leave a review. I really appreciate it. And go give Mayan some love. So Mayan, thank you so much for coming on here. I have thoroughly enjoyed this chat. I wish we could go on for more, but we both have stuff to do and I'm sure Clubhouse is waiting for us. So (laughs) with that being said, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you and I hope everyone has a great day. Peace out, everyone. I will see you next time.